Greetings, Goofsters, and welcome to Episode 5 of the Two Goofs Podcast, a 12-part exploration of the Disneyland character department from two best friends who worked, loved, and lived it. I'm Adam, and with me as always is Jeff. Hey, hey! Summer is upon us, and that means theme parks, specifically Disney parks for most of you listening. And we hope you'll get a kick out of our discussion today as we explore our time working in costume at the various Disney character dining experiences. But before we get started, we have some correspondence from one of our listeners. We always like to start out the show that way, so let's dig into some goof mail. Take it away, Jeff. Yes, this one comes from Miranda, uh, and she writes that in 2017, our son decided he wanted to journal our annual Disney World vacation. So we carried a journal through every park and wrote in it nonstop. While we were in Hollywood Studios, we went to the launch bay to meet the Star Wars characters, and a manager was walking around the entrance, saw that our son had his notebook and walked up to us and said, hey, buddy, they don't sign autographs back there. When we told the employee that it was a journal and that our son was writing everything down, he said, I'm going to make you guys my VIPs. So he took us back to meet the characters and put us in the front of every line. Wow, that's some special service. I don't know how the other guests felt about that, (laughs) (laughs) but that's pretty neat. Cataloging every experience of that vacation. And it's weird. The only time I ever got VIP treatment like that just as a guest, was I remember going to the park once and getting stuck on It's a Small World for like 20 minutes. (laughs) And we were stuck in the middle and it was like, at first, you know, we were hearing the music, we're hearing everything, and then about 10 minutes in, the music shut off, so then you were just hearing the click and clack of all the characters moving back and forth and it got really creepy in there for a while so when, you know, they finally got us moving again, they gave us these passes that said, okay, all night, you can use this card and just go up through the edge exit wow. and you get on any ride you want all night mm. we're so sorry for the inconvenience i was like wow, wow that's pretty sweet yeah but those special memories are part of the experience and some people get those moments some people only wish for them but one especially important part of any disney parks visit is the food i would say for many people grabbing a turkey leg or a dole whip that's just as important as meeting mickey for me it's sipping on a bright green mint julep in new orleans square at some point yeah Mm -hmm. i gotta do it but luckily the disneyland resort is full of opportunities to bring food and characters and all that fun together so for jeff and i you know goofy's kitchen at the disneyland hotel was the site for many of those memories so that seems like as good a place to start as any but jeff had a distinction he wanted to make up front as we get into our discussion so jeff why don't you explain it to him here oh yeah well and just something that is kind of important as we're trying to explain what life in the character department was like is essentially there were three main kinds of shifts that you could get on any given day. Essentially you had what we called atmosphere sets and that's if you see Goofy just wandering around, you know, Toontown or something like that. That's called atmosphere. Location sets, so like Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse you go up to Minnie Mouse's house and there's a line and or same thing if Goofy is standing in front of his house and there's a line with ropes and there's people monitoring stuff like that we call those location sets and the last one would be dining sets and all three of those I think are very different not just performances but I think they're very different in function the way that we do what we do 
Yeah, exactly. So we're going to start off giving you a little taste of, hey, a taste of the uh, dining (laughs) experience of what the expectation was for characters and what type of animation, as we call it. Animation is the way that you interact and perform the character physically. We used to call that animation. They probably still do. But there's a lot of people who probably have not experienced Disney dining. And the reason is it can be very cost prohibitive. Can be? Just think the prices at Goofy's Kitchen. I mean, I don't know what it was 20 years ago when we were working there. Well, ironically, as much as you, you know, we say that, I remember talking to a travel agent back in our day, and they actually would recommend to people, even if you have no kids, even if you don't enjoy the characters at all, go to Goofy's Kitchen because it's one of the best values. Because at Disneyland, as you may know, those of you that frequent Disneyland, food is not cheap anywhere you go, and it's certainly kind of in limited quantities but goofy's kitchen is an all-you-can-eat buffet so for breakfast an all-you-can-eat buffet for 17 bucks at disneyland is actually a pretty good deal but i'm sure it's even more expensive now because i think it's at like 40 dollars a kid 60 dollars for an adult or something really? along those lines yeah but the thing is if you think about people making that type of investment obviously they have quite a bit of expectations going in and that is they're going to get a, a moment with a character they're going to get some good food they're going to have a fun start or end to their day however they're they're filling it in and the nice thing about goofy's kitchen for people as well is you don't have to pay for admission to the park if you just want to go see the characters we'll just go to the restaurant and there it is now one of the things that we as characters were made aware of was that each part of the restaurant had a different section and jeff did they have different names that's what i was trying to remember can i throw in some backstory before we get Absolutely. into that okay yeah. so the interesting thing is that character dining as i understand it didn't really exist in the form that it took in goofy's kitchen pre-Goofy's Kitchen. But Goofy's Kitchen, before we started working there, so in like 1997 or so, was not a very nice place. In fact, actually, when I got hired in, they were just finishing the remodel, and it was not pretty. (laughs) If you've been to the Disneyland Hotel back in the mid-90s, it was not the nicest place to stay. But so anyway, they redesigned Goofy's Kitchen with the idea that it was supposed to be, the characters were there for a ongoing storyline that all of the different characters were supposed to have their own stories and so Goofy would come out he was supposed to have a dance routine and everything that he did and then Donald was introduced and Donald was supposed to be trying to take over Goofy's kitchen so there was his whole plot line Chip and Dale were supposed to come out and they had a whole dance number there was the original design some of the rooms were lopsided there was going to be food like fake food pasted to the ceiling and there was going to be people sitting on the ceiling like like it was just it was supposed to feel like goofy designed this restaurant so it was insane now a lot of that got cut before it actually got opened up but if you actually go into goofy's kitchen i'm assuming still today a lot of the rooms are very strangely shaped like there's this one room that only has four tables in it and then there's this other room that's really long and narrow and goes along the patio and then there's this one big fat room that's right in the middle that kind of looks like where you have banquets and stuff like that and so like adam said they all had different names 
initially because they were all supposed to be different themes and those kind of fell by the wayside but we had donald was the big room if i recall max was the little room i think goofy and then huey dewey and louie were the three smaller rooms one that was a that was a walkway and two that were like the private rooms that were never actually private uh and then chip and dale were the name of the two patios those were all the names yeah it's it's starting to ring a bell now so this is the other question i have then jeff if you'll jog my memory mm-hmm. how did those names function like the main purpose was so that your lead could say hey can you go over to max there's a family that just sat down over there and they have a special request or something like that was that really the purpose not that i mean the special request part was rare, that rarely would happen but it was more the idea because that was the interesting thing with goofy's kitchen is because again like we've talked about before you were always scheduled with a double especially if you were a popular character like goofy or chip and dale or pluto like you would do your shift for 30 minutes and then your double uh, another goofy would come out 30 minutes later and you guys would switch and so what would happen is you would always say hey man i just finished up goofy so go to the next room and so that way we would constantly be moving around so we wouldn't just see the exact same tables over and over and over again and especially if it was really really busy that became a, a very important thing to do because otherwise if you know someone was sitting there for an hour and a half and they never got to see goofy that's unacceptable right and i know that jeff with one lead in particular would kind of have a back and forth he would get reprimanded every once in a while because as you've probably guessed as you've listened to the show and realized that jeff is very devoted to giving the guests a special moment and giving them their money's worth that personal interaction and so a lot of times one lead in particular would be like we got to move through the restaurant Okay, you got to see everybody. You need to make your way around. Okay, no, no dilly dallying. And Jeff was <laughs> not always on board with that. So Jeff, how did how did you deal with that type of instruction? Well, let me let me rephrase that a little bit. The idea that I was just talking about, that's the concept that we generally had. For years, it was that if the, the restaurant is full, you don't want to spend 30 minutes with one guest. Like, that would be magical, that would be wonderful, but that's kind of unfair to all the other guests. So the reality is there needs to be some level of efficiency. Now, we did have one lead, as Adam mentioned, who did have a military background, and he came in and his philosophy was... Any character, no matter how busy it is, can see every single table in that room in 30 minutes. And for myself and a number of the other veterans, that's insanity. You would literally have to say, hi, autograph, picture, walk on. Like, that's all the interaction you're going to get. And he would be kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's what you got to do. No, man, no, that's not that's not meeting Goofy, if you ask me. And so, yeah, so there was a little, there was that challenge of being kind of pushed like, hey, you got to see more tables, you got to see more tables, you got to see more tables when it's busy. And again, that's true and that's important. But at least for me, that was that's really the magic of the character dining experience is that you're not being swamped by a thousand people coming up to you wanting autographs. You're going up to them. Goofy is literally walking up to your table and I can give you the character experience kind of on my terms, to be honest with you, because you're not demanding that, hey, do this, do this, and then I'm out of here. Like, you're you're a captive audience, man. You're sitting there eating and I can <laughs> entertain you as much as I please. Well, speaking of which, so that's what I was trying to think back to. You know, in our last episode, we talked about a character philosophy and we spent quite a bit of time discussing the difference between our chef goofies jeff was very much the gordon ramsay it seemed you know he's like this is my restaurant we run it my way let's make sure everything's gordon you know ship shaped <laughs> wow. well you weren't yelling at people but you, you isn't that a... all gordon ramsay <laughs> 
but you know, and mine was more like the gracious host. I want to make sure everything's perfect for you. Was, yeah, but I work so hard to give you what you need. But one of the things that I would do when I would go to the table was bad magic. Bad magic tricks will delight any child. Basically, you just, you borrow a napkin, you know, you maybe, you grab a salt shaker, you put the napkin over the salt shaker, you set it down, and then just try to move your hand out from under it and put it behind your back. Goofy, we saw that, you know, or just, just little things like that. If if the kid was the one who was usually giving me away, I guess you could say, who was uh, revealing my tricks, I would put the napkin on his head, try to make him disappear. That did never work. So things like that. Or I would spend time trying to mime certain food that was at the buffet and making sure, you know, that they knew it was there and suggesting they try it. Like Jeff said, some people were there just for the value and that it was good food. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah Goofy, thanks for coming by. Okay, bye-bye. I, I want to eat my prime rib. But Jeff, did you have any signature go-to bits that you, you like to, to create that moment for the guests with? One, I gotta say, and no offense, man, 20 years later, but Bush League. Bush League, bro. <laughs> I mean, like, come on, like, magic? Is Goofy... When has Goofy ever done magic? I've never seen that cartoon where Goofy... Especially Chef Goofy. I don't know. I don't know. Now, <laughs> talking about food, on the other hand, yeah, I'm definitely down for that, and I, yeah, just trying to double check with every, like, how, how's it going, and like, how's your food doing like did you try that because we always had the big dessert was worms and dirt which is literally if you've ever had it's just literally chocolate pudding with gummy worms in it and i just made it for myself the other day yeah, it's delicious I it. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's just but you so you'd always have to ask both the, the parents and the adult and sometimes like run over there and like this right here have you eaten this like that's very you know that's entertaining for me, at least. So. Yeah. And the other part, too, that was kind of fun is if it was a little bit slower, you could interact with the other characters that were maybe making the rounds coming up behind you or they were passing through so you could do a little bit of business with them especially if it was a face character because a lot of times they could speak for what was going on in your conversation so they'd be like goofy i just got to tell you the peanut butter jelly pizza is delicious oh thank you bell you know so thank you for coming by today it was great to have you here you know that type of thing but for everybody and this was kind of special i feel like is if you could really create a moment and it wasn't that the table experience wasn't what they wanted. Jeff, I'm sure you had it down to the minute. We had a dance party <laughs> that took place in the center of the restaurant. <laughs> so at certain times it was the Macarena at certain times it was the Disney version of Mambo number no. five. So can I just say one of my favorite moments in six years of working for Disneyland. So apparently the story is, is that once all of those things that we talked, I talked about at the beginning of that Goofy's Kitchen was going to be, once that all got cut, the regulars that were there every single week, they came up with this idea of like, hey, what if we still created a character moment? So literally it was one of our, which was not technically legal because he didn't have, even though it's Disney and you're using Disney songs, he literally just went home and got his own Disney CDs and made a compilation of Disney songs and burned them onto CDs and brought them in and put them into the CD player. And every 45 minutes, it would be the bare necessities from uh, the Jungle Book would come on, which you knew that was the last song before the Macarena. And then, yeah, they created this whole storyline that was like, okay, Donald is still trying to take over the kitchen. So the story is, if Goofy can convince people to 
dance the Macarena, it will stay Goofy's Kitchen. But if Donald can convince everybody not to dance, then Goofy will lose Goofy's Kitchen and it will become Donald's Kitchen. So Donald actually had a button that would say, like, it had Goofy's Kitchen with a line crossed through it and then Donald's face on top. And so the, the dance used to be... Goofy would be out there dancing the Macarena, and then Donald would come around trying to say, like, no, stop, don't do that, no, it's horrible, and then eventually, like, three-quarters of the way through the song, he would give up. But then the best part was they've been doing this for four years. Four years later, someone at corporate finally gets wind of the fact that we're using these illegal CDs that were burned at somebody's house. <laughs> so they, they bring in like legally official, like we actually got the licenses from our own songs and it's like a corporate c- CD and stuff like that. And then the like producer, director, whatever guy comes in. He's like, we came up with this idea. It's a little bit crazy, but we want to introduce it to you guys. We think what you should do is every Every 45 minutes, I think you guys should dance the Macarena. And we were, <laughs> which one, we've been doing for four years, but two, the Macarena was like 15 years old at that point. And I'm like, really? That's your idea? Oh, goodness sake. Corporate politics. They're probably still dancing it to this day. I would imagine. But like I said, that it, it would switch up to be M- Mambo number five sometimes, and you would do the hand jive. Which again was, I think they got rid of that because that was the illegal version ah okay because i was there during the rogue rogue. (laughs) but the other thing that was fun about the dance party was yeah you could literally dance with each guest so you could move around in this big group and then a lot of times at least when i was there and it felt like it was usually during the evening shifts that people would like create a circle and then you would go out and you would each character would get their little moment to like do some break dancing it's like go goofy go goofy you know like this is just out of the 90s you know Which is that other tough part. Yeah, goofy breakdancing. Come on, dude. Goofy doesn't break dance. We had some semi-pro yeah. break dancers that were in crews right. that would do, like, the robot. They would do, like, but that's the not strobe. Goofy, goofy doesn't, doesn't break dance? I mean, best case scenario, he would try and fail. But, yeah, yeah sometimes, you, yeah, I don't know. For me, at least, I would, you know, I'd have a double that would be, like, on a professional dance crew or something like that. And Goofy's out there, like, spinning on his head and doing the robot. And I'm just like... Seriously? uh, Now, the other thing that would happen, and I felt like this usually took place in the mornings, but Jeff mentioned that there was a private room. It was in the middle of everything, but it had walls on either side and it was kind of deep. So you would walk past a little small dining area into this back room. And that was for the celebrity guests or, you know, VIPs who wanted a little more privacy. And occasionally it was an actor or a famous musician that would come through there. So like, for example, I remember one time it was Andy Garcia. Anybody, you know, from the Oceans films and, you know, Godfather 3. Anybody? Fans? There were times when it was like, oh, it's the bassist for Green Day. Oh, it's, you know, the guitarist for R.E.M. But the one I remember most specifically was it was an early morning shift and it was Kathy Ireland was there with a bunch of kids and I assume it was her family or whatever. And so... I, in retrospect, am kind of embarrassed because, of course, you want to say you had an interaction with Kathy Ireland, so you bug her. And I, I remember at the time, I, you know, I could totally tell that she was just over it, and she was kind of annoyed, and she's gotten enough attention in her life. I'm here with these kids. Please stop bothering me. Give the kids a special moment. You know, so when I look back now, I'm like, oh, yeah. But I remember, like, you know, kissing her on her head as goofy and stuff like that. It was just like, but, it, you know, she was still very cool cordial about it but he 
you could see it in her eyes. So I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where celebrities are, are there, but they're there for the same purpose as everybody else. And it's not usually about the adults, although some adults very much want it to be about them. You know, mm. they're in the Disney experience and that's just fine too. So the other thing I wanted to mention is like, Jeff, in your experience, because I know you worked, you know, primarily morning shifts, but did you notice a difference in the vibe of a morning shift at 630 in the morning when you're walking around versus an evening shift when you're there for dinner? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, one, you definitely have a lot more adults in the evening. We would get our fair share of, like, business people, which was always bizarre because they definitely had wanted nothing to do with you. Uh, but, like, they were there for, a, for a, you know, a, a conference or something like that. So they just wanted their food and then leave them alone. The thing that was interesting is they used to do, I think they stopped. I don't know if they started up again. They used to do a lunch as well. So what used to happen was that, that they would open up at 7 a.m. would be the first people sat and then it would go until 1.30. I think it would yeah. run until 1.30. Yeah. Then it closed until I think 4 or 5. Then there was a downtime where they would switch. However, they used to somewhere around I think 10.30 they would switch from breakfast to lunch. So what you would get is at about 10.15 or so you would get a group of people called the Buffet Busters, that they were there, and they would be there for like three hours, because they would sit there, <laughs> they would eat their breakfast, they would wait, and then it would switch over, and then they would eat lunch too. So you definitely didn't have that at dinner. I mean, you would have some people that would sit for a while, but yeah, dinners, I felt like dinners had more of like a rush, I felt, where there was like a, a uptime and a, and a downtime, mm -hmm. whereas breakfast, other than like the lull at the end, if it was a busy day, it was going to be a busy day straight through. And, and the other part was too, was the vibe is that I don't or the vibe of like the group working like I've, I've talked about in previous episodes at least for me when I hired in the group working Goofy's Kitchen AM was legendary I mean again if you had worked there for seven years you would be the rookie of the crew I mean there was literally 10 years 15 years 20 years 30 years that's how long these people had been there and this is the crew that's working so there was just this veteran presence and I don't know if you want to call it professionalism. Sometimes it can be a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. But in the evenings, it was usually very much the opposite. You get a lot of younger people. I don't know that there was really that consistent of a crew i didn't right think. yeah it was always different yeah and so that kind of changed things and then like you know it's the evening so a younger crew and they're talking about what are they going to do after you know work and stuff exactly like that. It, it always felt like to me almost like a nightclub atmosphere when you work uh -huh. goofy's kitchen at night because yeah like the dance parties were always a lot crazier people were really showing off quite a bit and it was just overall just kind of a i don't, I don't want to say a more adult vibe but it just seemed like everybody that was there was young and ready to mingle you know <laughs> and the other thing that i found fun about goofy's kitchen was the fact that you always had face characters there with you for the most part i, I feel like uh, very often at least in the mornings it was alice and the mad hatter or at least the mad hatter we rarely had alice yeah okay maybe that was more of the evenings yeah they usually wanted well they wanted a princess because the mm -hmm. interesting thing well and then real quick again i don't know the whole corporate politics sort of a thing but the weird thing is is that even though it's all disney is that the organization or whatever that is goofy's kitchen or the part of disney that is goofy's kitchen had a contract with the character department 
so that they would provide X amount of characters. But that we talked about priority shifts a while ago. That mm-hmm. was one reason they were guaranteed in their contract to have Goofy and one or two face characters every single time. And so if like they would literally like, oh, Goofy's doing a special event, too bad. Drop him out of the special event, replace him with somebody else. We have to have Goofy in Goofy's kitchen. They were legally contracted to do that. And it, I always thought it was odd, the face characters, because sometimes you get like Aladdin and Jasmine on occasion, you know, would wander through. But when they would have a princess that maybe had a bigger dress, that always kind of surprised yeah. me. Like, no, like especially yeah, Belle, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but but she, she did her best, you know, and Snow White would be right. there and whoever else. But uh, speaking of Belle, I have a story... I'll preface it now. It's a little off color, but it was what I would consider the most vulgar yet funny thing I ever heard during my time working at Disneyland came from a face character playing Belle. And I just remember, you know, Belle in and of herself is a pretty, how would you describe it? You know, she's a, not headstrong, headstrong, but she... Oh, yeah. You wouldn't say headstrong? Maybe so, I guess. And, independent. Uh, how's that? Yes, independent woman for sure. And so was this uh, particular performer that was portraying her. So I remember being backstage just on my break and she was talking to some of the other gals and she was like, I have these guys that want to date me and they want to go to bed on the first date. And I tell them, if you want some place to stick it, dig a hole. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, okay. But it was just crazy to see that coming out of Bell. So on the flip side, hang on. I'd like to point out because this is now the second story you've told about base characters that are, at least in your vision, vulgar. Yeah. Uh, and I would like to point out is that I would not say that face characters, in fact, I would probably say on the whole, they were probably less vulgar than your average costume character, but they were certainly not more vulgar. My guess is, and that's kind of, the, I think, the reason that you're telling telling these stories is that it's a little bit more surprising if you're not viewing them as a human as instead you're viewing them as a character even when they take their character off so to speak even though their character is their face so yeah if you saw goofy say that on set in costume you would be like what that's inappropriate goofy but goofy takes it off and he's just a guy standing there in his underwear and then he says that you're like well (laughs) yeah you're just you know, in your underwear. Just for the record, we did not sit around in our underwear. Under garments? Underwear? You wear it <laughs> under your costume? But they were gym clothes, Jeff. Okay, was... <laughs> whatever you want to call them. Underwear. Oh, I just love the idea of us sitting around in wife beaters and boxer shorts with hearts on them. Well, like, ah, oh, yeah. As opposed to sitting around in gym shorts and, and sweaty t-shirts, it's about the same, <laughs> dude. Now, one of the other things that Jeff mentioned, because there was this period between the morning shift and the afternoon shift if you were goofy working the evening shift at goofy's kitchen you actually started before all the other characters that would be working that night because you would have this in-between set where you would walk around the disneyland hotel just in the regular goofy costume so you're not chef goofy you're not at goofy's kitchen you're literally wandering the courtyard you're in the lobby you're just kind of making your way around and whoever happens to run into you it's their lucky day so jeff i know you got to be the veteran and pick your morning shift quite a bit but you said that you worked uh, probably in the early days got a couple of those evening shifts at goofy's kitchen is that right yeah 
Yeah, well, and, and the same thing too. Like we talked about, because that is a priority shift. So you you could get pulled if you were in a non-priority shift to go do that. The interesting thing is though too is that that we haven't really brought up is that, and it's kind of the logistics of it, I guess, is that the goofy shift. And actually, that's the reason that you would do those two sets walking around the hotel is the goofy shift was the only eight-hour shift. So if you were a full-time employee, the only thing you could do in the evening was goofy. If you were a full-time Pluto, you could not play Pluto because it's not enough hours. You would need to get an eight-hour shift. And so that's, that's another reason that you would have kind of younger, you know, the, the the less veteran people sometimes in the evening. Yeah, which is surprising actually with the Pluto thing because we, we should mention also that there was a photo location at Goofy's Kitchen at the very front of the restaurant. So while you were getting checked in for your experience at Goofy's Kitchen, you would go into this little area with a, a kitchen printed wallpaper and get a picture usually with pluto wearing the apron wearing the hat although i've seen jeff this was strange to me in recent days apparently goofy will be out there doing photos and that's kind of that interesting thing like i remember when because it never used to be pluto it was always chip and dale and that would be the thing is that it would be chip and then 30 minutes later it would be dale and then chip and then dale and chip and then dale and the restaurant complained because they're like nobody wants a picture with dale man like give us somebody more interesting and they didn't want to give them Pluto because of the nature of Pluto having a double he's much more effective in the restaurant which then going back to the thing about the like oh no they can totally make it all the way around the restaurant in 30 minutes if you don't have a double you have to because you're not going to be back out there for another 30 minutes so if you see somebody at the beginning of a set and it's going to be you know another 30 minutes like they might not see you for an hour and a half so that was kind of a big contention, so I wonder if the restaurant wanted a more high-profile character, and they got a Goofy. It actually, I saw that they even had a Chef Mickey, and they had Mickey and Minnie walking around for a limited time. Like, that was like a special promotion. Yeah, yeah we used to always have Minnie. Minnie... Yeah was the the evening photo location. So I actually have quite a few pictures from the photo location because if it was slow and I was there like as Genie or whoever else, like I would wander over to the photo location and be like, can I get a picture? so so i'll I'll be posting a couple of those for everybody to see that's why i did it for you my future podcast listeners but the interesting thing like jeff mentioned was this in-between shift that took place walking the disneyland hotel if you were working the evening shift you would go out as goofy and just kind of interact with the guests at the hotel now one of the things that i found interesting was there was a water park like in lieu of just a pool in the middle of the courtyard at the Disneyland Hotel and I think it was Little Mermaid themed but I can't recall but it had like all yeah. these like fake rocks and like water slides and things inside of it so a lot of times you can kind of like peek through there and like hey wait Goofy's over there you know, so sometimes people would come out and say hi you know? I think water park is a little bit of an exaggeration <laughs> I think they had like a slide maybe two it was nicer than yeah just a normal pool I'll give you right that. it had a lot of tropical plants and stuff built into it so it felt like kind of this little resort area when it was always i always thought it was so interesting on those sets because one there were no well i can't say there were no rules but essentially like there was nowhere that you needed to be there was nowhere it was literally just hey be back in your break room in 30 minutes and 
no one expected you to be anywhere. So honestly, like if you were walking around and a kid saw you, they probably didn't have their autograph book. It was probably up in their hotel room. So like a lot of times I would just wander around, go outside, sometimes end up in the front desk area or go out towards the valet and be welcoming people out of the cars. Yeah, there was just a lot of, of I guess, freedom. freedom. Yeah. I guess so. It was also kind of tough though because the hallways of the Disneyland Hotel at three in the afternoon even on a busy day, are not going to be busy. You're just wandering around and there's no one around. And that's kind of lame, to be honest with you. Sometimes you'd like, you know, a little bit more interaction. Well, and so that's what I would do because that was true. Like there wasn't a whole lot of traffic. So there wasn't a whole lot for you to be accomplishing. So I had what was probably my favorite thing to do in costume, aside from a queen of hearts, because man, (laughs) is that fun. But when I was in that shift at Goofy's Kitchen, I would go out in front of Goofy's Kitchen. So there was an entrance with a big sign that said Goofy's Kitchen and the exterior. And I would stand out there and I would pose like I was a statue. And just kind of like saying like, oh, this is the Goofy statue that welcomes you to Goofy's Kitchen. And so I would sometimes I'd be there like 10 minutes, 15 (laughs) minutes, just frozen, you know, with like a welcoming hand gesture. And people would wander up and they'd be like, what? Is that Goofy? Oh, I know. I think, yeah, I, I think it's just a statue. Go touch it, man. I'm not, I'm not going to touch Just go see. Is it a statue? Is it a statue? You know, they'd come over and I would like stiff it up and flex. So like people would try to pull my arm down or something. It wouldn't go. They're like, oh yeah, I don't, it doesn't move. So I don't know. And I would go, hey, you know, like, like just, just jump out at them and they'd freak them out. You know, like, so that was my favorite thing to do and just have a little fun with that. You know, just where was I going to time it? Where was I going to let them know? Because a lot of people, if they would walk by me, then I would jump out at them too, you know, (laughs) just to give them, you know, wake him up a little bit. Goofy does love terrifying people. That's kind of his thing. Uh. Uh, he's a silly guy. I like to play <laughs> around. So yeah, statue sets for me were very big. So I looked forward to the uh, <laughs> the evening shift at Goofy's Kitchen. That kind of bridges the gap between the dining experience and the beginning of what we would call an atmosphere set. But what are your thoughts about working free roaming in character? So dining, the nice thing about dining is that all that really matters is the restaurant. Like what's going on? Is the restaurant busy? Is it not? And who knows what's going to make the restaurant busy or, or what's not? There could be a convention in town. It could be Mother's Day. There could be like... All these different things can make the restaurant busy, whereas the park, you know when the park is going to be busy. The park is going to be busy in summer. It's going to be busy on spring break, winter break, and weekends. Like, that's your time. And so atmosphere sets were very different based on those times. And and it also depended on what kind of character you were playing. Because if you're playing, you know, like we talked about Br'er Bear, nobody knows who you are. If it's busy, they don't care who you are. They want your autograph. They want just because you're clearly something. (laughs) But if you're goofy, then, you know, you got this huge crowd. The interesting thing was, and I think this has changed. Honestly, I haven't been to Disneyland in a long, long time now. But when I was hired in and training, and I remember even as as like my mentor, my trainer or whatever was, was telling me, your biggest responsibility as an atmosphere character was to not let a line form. Because if a line forms, sure, it's easy. And, and the sad thing is, is it's the guests wanting to be courteous to each other. They form a line. So like, oh, no, no, you were first. You go next and you go next and you go next. But the problem is the line is in control of you. 
And you're the one that knows, hey, I got to go offset in 30 minutes and I have no way of communicating that to this line. So it would be that thing of constantly moving and trying to break up lines so that you would still try and see everybody, but it would be this back and forth challenge. And then if it was just a zoo out there, then no line could possibly be formed anyway. Again, atmosphere sets, especially on busy days, kind of became more about managing than it did about performing. And so that was kind of tough. And honestly, like, especially in the middle of summer, I didn't find atmosphere sets very entertaining. This is the question I have. How much do you think a host would help and take that pressure off you? Because that's basically their purpose, is they're supposed to help keep everything in order, but keep it so that you can do your job. And yet, a lot of times they're just watching for a problem, but maybe not every time organizing the situation in the way that it's supposed to be. Well, and some of that did change, because it didn't used to be, like, we used to have a host for every land. So there would be one host for Town Square, and there would be about six characters out there. There'd be one host for Frontierland, and there's three, four characters out there. You know, there'd be one host. And so their job was, yeah, just looking for problems and stuff like that. And that's that's what I think is different now, is that I think they do, I think every character has a host now. But the weird thing is, is that for my thought, is that if a host forms a line, maintains a line, cuts off a line, does the whole line sort of a thing. You didn't do an atmosphere set. You did a location set. Goofy wasn't wandering through town square. He went to a spot in town square and it was his location. Now, in the reality, if it's really busy, does that matter? Is atmosphere just kind of a non thing? Possibly. But I mean, again, and and to be perfectly honest, as you may know from listening to podcasts already, pride is definitely something I struggle with. So I was definitely (laughs) one that I was like, I don't need a host, man. Go help a rookie. I can handle this kid. I think for the most part, most of the the character department felt that way. Again, unless you were one of the smaller characters that could be easily, you know, manhandled or something would happen. Well, I think it's interesting, too, that like and same thing with 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 dining as well, is that the frustrating thing, especially after years of doing it, it was kind of heartbreaking, especially when I think you become a Disney character for those Kodak moments for the kid whose eyes are just going to light up because they see goofy and you just want to bring magic to them and stuff like that. And the reality is the vast majority are smacking you in the arm with an autograph book. Autograph, 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 autograph. They sign it. They turn around, they walk off to the next character. And you're just kind of like, you didn't meet Goofy at all. Like literally you just got him to scribble on this little piece of paper for you. And like, I wanted to meet you. I wanted you to meet Goofy. And so it's, it's kind of interesting. I always thought there was almost this like, not subverting the guests expectations, but maybe exceeding them where it's kind of like, I know what you want and I want to give it to you. Like you want your autograph. Okay, that's fine. But I also want you to meet Goofy. So how can I do both at the same time without ignoring all these people, without being a jerk to you? And honestly, that line was a tougher line to keep than one might think i might have been a jerky goofy from time to time just because i was very insistent about the way no 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 you stand there i'm doing this okay now here's your autograph the only time i ever gave people attitude is you know in an atmosphere set again it's it's random groups of people just forming around you and that's what you deal with whatever guests are there and have an interest the ones that were difficult for me to deal with is you know i i deal with the crying kid or whatever all day i don't care but it was the 25 to 35 year old adults who thought they were funny by making off-color jokes like in front of a bunch of kids there's 
several jokes about, you know, relations between Goofy and Minnie, and just a lot of stuff like that, and they would say these jokes out loud, or just sexual stuff or whatever that they would bring up, and I would just go limp. So if they wanted a picture, I would just, like, stand with my arms at my sides, slump and do nothing for them. And then they could leave. And then I would go back, you know, I'd be myself again and animate and everything. But that was the only time that I would get upset. Because you could tackle me all you want, but when you're going to take the magic away from people, and especially be inappropriate in front of kids, like, I'm not down with that. But, like, for example, when I was at Atmosphere Sets, a lot of times I would get tackled by teenagers. There'd usually be 13 to 15 year-old guys were showing off for their friends and they'd come and run up and go goofy i love you but they would like tackle me in the middle and like be pushing me a a couple feet because they were just pretending to be an overzealous baby or something i don't know what they thought was cool about that it didn't upset me that much but i would just be like guy what are you doing and so when i would do statue sets if I could scare like a sixteen-year-old boy, oh, that Adam. would just—that was oh. the sweet revenge, you know. Because <laughs> oh. I said, I know when I go to the park later this week, you're gonna be there to tackle me or somebody like you. See, <laughs> where's Brer Bear to come up and shake you? Like, go work it not very far. Come <laughs> on, kid. You know, the other thing too that we talked about Goofy's Kitchen primarily because that was where most of our shifts took place. We'll mention the other character dining locations at Disneyland. I don't know how much I have to say about it. For example, I think the other main one that a lot of people probably know about is the Plaza Inn. And Plaza Inn is kind of cool because it's in the park. The end of Main Street, there's basically, I mean, it does have indoor seating, but what you would see as you're walking around is the outdoor patio area. And they do a lot of character breakfast experiences there and other things. So it's kind of a nice way to be like, oh, I'm already in the park and I can just pay a couple bucks and get some food and and be guaranteed the characters. (laughs) Well, by comparison to like the hotel ones, it's cheaper. Is it? I don't know if it's much cheaper. It's still pretty well. And cause I don't, not only that, it, usually was the Winnie the Pooh characters. So that was kind of their big selling point. And not only that, but how they differentiated. So every now and again, because I think both of us were too tall for Tigger, but every now and then they might be short a Tigger or a Piglet or something like that. And so they would throw in like a random, I think I was Goofy, but it's not Chef Goofy. Then you're just regular Goofy or like a genie or I did beast in there one time, which was horrendous. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I only worked there once and I did also pull the, Hey, you're a photographer. Take a picture of me in my goofy outfit. So I have like a nice, like I posed next to a reserved (laughs) side on a table, kind of leading like how you do it, you know? So take advantage of it while you can. I still had my most memorable worst shift of all. (laughs) Side note, I guess I was not, I'm not captain social in general, so I don't usually hang out out with my co-workers I'm you know I'm friendly with them and I'm, I'm their buddy you know and I like hanging out with them at work but I never have the guts to be like so do you want to do something outside of work like that was not me so again like when we had Nikki on and Adam was like oh yeah we're all partying Friday no come on dude she was we were not but anyway <laughs> I finally had a group of friends that I actually did for a, a, a time go out and hang out with and stuff and one night we did we were just up to hijinks you know throwing M80s and trash cans and stuff Stuff like that all night like long. Like you do. Like you do. You know, you're actually, I was probably older than I should have been at that point. So I was like <laughs> 21 or so. Anyway, and it is. 
3.30 in the morning at that point, and I'm looking at my watch, and I'm like, I have a 6.15 Plaza Inn shift tomorrow. You know what? Forget it. I'm just staying up. I'm not going to get two hours of sleep and be all crusty-eyed. So I, I did the genie on zero hours of sleep, and the first three sets were just all sugar. I just kept drinking like uh, fruit punch and stuff like that. Oh, but man, that last shift, oh, that that's probably my worst performance as the genie, where genie was just like, <laughs> hello. Like, no, there was just not much happening. For getting into that story, I also have a Disney dining experience, which was the first time I ever stayed up for 24 hours. I had to work a Goofy's Kitchen shift that morning. So I'll tell it very quickly. But I had a friend who his his uh, mom taught on a military base. Uh, and so he was very familiar with this military base of the school area there and it had recently been closed down so this is the El Toro Marine Base and it had been closed down for I think about two years at this point and I had just started working at Disneyland and he and his friends were urban explorers so they had a website and they would go out they would never show their faces but they would go and break into places they would trespass and uh, you know places like the Wild Rivers theme park or college camp campuses that had like secret rooms and things but one of the places they wanted to go was this military base and so you know i was 18 now i could run my own life and uh, so he's like yeah you should come along it'd be a fun adventure we're gonna go there about 3 a.m you know and i was like oh okay so i just stayed up with them just being crazy all night and then we finally drove out there at first we like toured the old housing area it was everything was all like creepy and overgrown weeds and it was kind of a setting for a horror movie but then we went over to the base and we had to like jump through barbed wire fences because you know it was a military base they didn't want people in there and so we're wandering around and we actually went to one building where we had to jimmy open the door and when we opened the door bats flew out like it, it was the perfect setting for wrongdoing there was like caution tape everywhere because like the ceilings were falling out of these buildings it was wild so eventually we ended up going to this runway and so there was a control tower and we climbed up there it was a real narrow staircase and we're like looking out from the top you know if jeff was like the m80s on his excursions we went to the top of it and we peed off the side you know because you're gonna do that when you're 18 or 25 as these guys were not quite mature Anyway, so while we were up there, they were videotaping and everything, and one of the guys was taking pictures for the website, and he accidentally activated the flash, and so the flash went off, this big burst of flash, and we looked out, and we saw we had passed a guard booth, but nobody was in it when we entered, and a light came on, and we're like, oh no. So we ran down, and we're trying to run back, but we couldn't go the way we came, because that's where the guard was, and we were trying to climb up these fences where there was barbed wire, but these were like 20 foot, 25 foot high fences that were bigger than the ones we had climbed so all of a sudden we see this car start cruising up towards us but it was in the dark it didn't have its lights on and we're like uh ah. and there were all these different buildings that went all along the length of the runway there and so we hid behind one of them and this car just comes flips around turns on its headlights and we're like uh-oh obviously there's an mp there or some sort of security so we all carefully crept to the next building and waited and he didn't move we crept to the next building he turns the engine back on <laughs> so we start running from building to building and he's following us so we're booking it and we finally got to this place where there was this canal but it had steps that went up on one side and then there was like a three or four foot gap and then there was steps on the other side so we just ran up the stairs ran over then we we couldn't get 
out because there was now this 30 foot concrete wall that we couldn't get through and then we finally got to a point where there was a juncture of the wall and a drainage canal and barbed wire fencing but right in between all of that was the opening to get to the side of the street so we were able to actually climb up there jump down get to the street our friends that were a little bit faster went up ahead and had gotten their van and they literally came driving by and swung open the van door and we jumped in and they drove off and we made it home and so i get there and now it's like five in the morning i knew i had to leave by 5 30 and at that time i wasn't driving so my dad was taking me i'm 18 i'm charging my life i don't have a license <laughs> so get to goofy's kitchen and i was just so wiped like there was so much adrenaline that had been coursing through me and now i'm just in this break area that has a couch and i could not keep my eyes open so i literally had to have one of my co-workers be like hey, hey your double's coming back get dressed uh, you know, so like i'd get dressed and i think similar to jeff's genie experience goofy was very lethargic at the kitchen that day just kind of wandering around like how you doing all right go back fall asleep even though you weren't supposed to do that so that was my first time ever staying up 24 hours it was pretty crazy and all linked to goofy's kitchen as we close out here again we'll mention some of the other character dining experiences there was the storyteller's cafe at the grand californian hotel attached to california adventure jeff you ever worked there uh, i feel like i was there as a host because i know that was mostly chip and dale that were over there and i feel like max was max always over there i think you're right yeah yeah the one that although i don't i don't know if that's the next one you're gonna say the one that i worked quite frequently though was ariel's grotto yeah, we mentioned it last episode. That was inside California Adventure, right on the bay there. Mm-hmm. And they had like a bar upstairs at one point, or kind of a more adult area. And then like downstairs was the area where kids were going to meet the characters. Fair about a face character exposure. And then that was another one. Like, were we working there as Goofy, Jeff? Was yeah. Goofy at Ariel's Grotto? Okay. Because yeah. I was trying to remember if there was another character they wanted there. Well, it's funny because, like, with character dining, as far as I'm aware, Goofy's Kitchen was essentially a fluke that was supposed to do this, and it didn't, and then it worked even better, and then... Because the interesting thing was, working on all of those other restaurants, is that none of them were built for characters. Like, there was never a break area, like a real break area. The spacing between tables was not good. There was no breakup, because, like, again... Goofy's Kitchen had a really nice flow and the different ways it was all situated. The colors definitely felt character friendly, whereas all the rest of those, Ariel's Grotto was maybe the worst where they clearly made it. Nobody really wanted to go to it. And they're like, well, throw some characters in there. And then we were breaking in like the storage area where they had metal cots set up. And it was. Well, that was that was kind of the deal of the early days of California Adventure was they didn't plan for it to be animated character heavy. And then they realized, oh, that was a mistake and so they started shoving characters wherever they could but yeah so ariel's grotto i think there was also another kind of you know dance party sequence which i'm almost certain was under the sea and i remember kind of doing a conga line around the restaurant the other place that i know i worked a few times was the disney's pch grill and i I don't know if that was the same as the paradise pier cafe or something like that but i I only worked there a couple times but that was always to me like bizarro goofy's (laughs) kitchen you know because minnie's kitchen wasn't it yeah at the time i think it's donald themed now but but back then it was it was mini themed yeah but it was kind of like a caribbean kind of island flavor to it there so and were you i don't know because there for a while it was always one of the shifts 
that on the way to drop us off at Goofy's Kitchen, they would always take the PCH characters and drop them off first. Exactly. And then they would keep going off to, to drop us off. Yeah, you'd share the van. I yeah. remember that. The one thing I'll mention is that Ariel's Grotto no longer exists. Last year, they actually turned it into the Lamplight Lounge. So now it's more like a gastro pub, like just kind of casual dining experience, but there are no characters there now. So that, like, That's the thing that was kind of a bummer it was a really cool location it's like right there on the water i mean literally like the our break area you if you took too big a step out of our break area you would land in the water like yeah. it was right there <laughs> and that was kind of cool but i felt like yeah very underutilized the other one I can mention, and, and we're going to get into this probably more next episode, it was not specifically a Disney character dining experience, but when Jeff and I were working there once, we uh, we signed in a couple of our friends who came to enjoy the park with us at California Adventure, and we ate at a restaurant that did not make it past the first year, I don't think, but it was called the Soap Opera Bistro. Oh, and <laughs> the idea there was that, that all the servers were characters from soap operas. Not like actual characters, but character types. Right. So you'd have like the doctor or like the rich businessman or, you know, right. the, we sat in like the general hospital section. Yeah. So it just looked like the hallway of a hospital, which is not that exciting. <laughs> but there were there were rooms that were like a, a dock or other things that were a little bit fancier in the yeah. theme itself. Well, and the, yeah. And the interesting thing was with the original, and again, yeah, I don't know if you call it I mean, it was character, not Disney character themed. Yes. Because again, <laughs> California Adventure was not really supposed to be Disney character themed initially. But the original, and I, I don't remember when we went there. I don't think it was quite like when we went to the cafe or whatever at Universal. Yeah. Whereas, whereas the, the superheroes were not your servers. Your servers were just normal guys, and then the, the superheroes would walk around and do character sets, essentially. And that's what Soap Opera Bistro turned into. The original idea, which sounds good, but it's actually a horrible idea, was that it was supposed <laughs> to be the performers were actually the servers. So they would serve, and then they would just break out into a, a soap opera scene or something like that in the middle of your meal or something. But sounded better than it actually, especially paying someone to be a performer and a server and they're getting tips like forget it like the money it, it, it just doesn't make any sense but yeah that marvel mania restaurant i'm still kind of holding my breath to when the universal theme park contract runs out where they have exclusive rights to marvel characters in the parks because it seems like we must be getting close to the end of that right because i know captain marvel's wandering around these days and other things like that so they've got some loophole but that's like one of those things where if they could recreate that again and maybe i wouldn't be so embarrassed to meet spider-man uh -huh. this time my hero uh, probably <laughs> but i mean that's really it that's kind of the character dining experience and a, a little bit extra there talking about our thoughts on atmosphere sets and things of that nature jeff was there anything else you wanted to add as we close out here yeah because i mean i did spend and i think i mentioned this before i mean like i'd say maybe 40 percent of my six years at disneyland in character dining specifically goofy's kitchen the frustrating thing for me is kind of like we talked about i wanted to bring this character to life for people that was the point of me being a character and the reality is when you're in the park that's not what you're able to do most times is that when you're literally surrounded 
by 20 people waving autograph books in your face. There's not room to perform unless you're going to be a jerk and try and ignore people. Like you, you're just forced to turn into an automaton and just da 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 da. I'm just going to sign, 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 sign. And so, a character dining gives you a different experience, and I love that character dining. I'm able to bring that magic. I I don't know if we're going to get into this in another episode, but like the two big moments for me not just professionally or performingly, but personally, was one, you said earlier, Adam, about like, crying babies are no big deal. Crying babies are fine. I mean, I have a crying baby right now. But children that are crying because they're terrified of you and parents that find that hilarious really starts to hurt. And it, you would see that even in Goofy's Kitchen. And I remember one of the characters that, again, the veterans that I loved working with, who had been there for 25 years, I think. And he said something really profound, I thought. He said, at the end of the day, if we're really good at what we do, we can put a smile on these kids' face. But the reality is we can't be their parents. And that sounds really dumb and really simple, but that was really powerful to realize that like I can't as much as because honestly, there are times when I wanted to. There were times when I wanted to be like, get away from this child. This terrifies me that this is happening. I can't do that. Like, all I can do is my little role and I need to be okay with that. And then the other one that was really impactful for me is that I was actually working at Goofy's Kitchen on 9-11, 2001. And I remember I was changing in the break area when somebody came downstairs and he said, hey, man, I just heard an airplane ran into the World Trade Center. What? That's crazy. And then as we're packing up the shuttle, somebody comes in and they go, dude, I just heard a second plane hit that tower. And so that was actually that day. And then then we drove over to Goofy's Kitchen, turned on the TV and watched the rest of it right there. That was one of the only days that Disneyland did not open was on, on 9-11. And one of the terrifying things, too, was... For a long time, the plane, the what was it, the, the one that crashed in Pennsylvania, that one was unaccounted for. And there were some people saying, we think it's heading towards California. And if you're going to hit something in California that's a, like a landmark symbol, the castle is a pretty good symbol of, you know, American opulence. So we were really, really scared. And to then, hey, it's seven o'clock, Goofy, you're up. And so then to go out and to perform then and, and, you know, the performer in you takes over. And there were a couple of times where I had to kind of go to the side, just kind of catch my breath. And I do remember there was one like I, I kind of doing my goofy thing, doing around. And this dad was just sitting at the table with his head down. He said, like, it's tough to smile today, Goofy. And like, whew, that was it was it was really tough. But at the same time, it was kind of like that's kind of why we do what we do, because you know what? Those kids there, those kids didn't know that that was going on. Those kids were having a blast and those kids. Kids were enjoying seeing Goofy. And so it was kind of like, yeah, for me, those moments were just kind of like, yeah, that's why I do what I do. And we will keep doing what we do here on the Two Goofs podcast. So we have completed episode five. Uh, next time around, this is actually going to be a fun episode. It's one that I've been looking forward to. We are going to be discussing our experiences being part of the opening of Disney's California Adventure and what the character experience was like in those early days, because that park has gone through some changes, we'll tell you. <laughs> there was a concept, and uh, there were some things that maybe they didn't think through. So we're, we're going to be getting into the ins and outs of the characters we portrayed, the shows we were able to be a part of. And the other thing that we want to mention to you as well, we do have a bonus episode coming up pretty soon. Most of you are probably going to see the live-action Aladdin in theaters. Well, we have an old friend we went to high school with who played Aladdin at the park, and he is going to 
to be joining us for a bonus interview. So keep watching the feed. We've been wanting to do more. We have a couple people that are very interested to talk to us and talk to you. Just life is kind of getting in the way right now, but we'll be sure to bring them on board and give you another insight. But hey, to have a face character coming on, this is going to be a lot of fun and he's a good guy. So until next time, we'll hear you. Bye.